and welcome to Seize the GM. If you're looking to get started GMing, we're here to help. And if you're a GM with a few levels under your experience belt, we are here to help you find your prestige class. Let us take you through some common questions, concerns, and the fun challenges that every GM will face. We have our ideas, our opinions, and some might even say answers that we want to share. So pull up a chair, dust off your dice, and let us help you seize the GM. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Seize the GM. Dude, that sound forced as hell. <laughs> I'm just a little tired. Welcome You're back to another episode of Seize the GM. That's a little yeah. over to... Dude, just admit it. The allergies are kicking all of our butts. I am fine. I don't know what you're speaking about. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm like dying over here. <laughs> so like, it, I, was I bad, like... it was bad last time we recorded, too. Mm. And it just got worse. Yeah, I ended up getting... I, yeah, I was out. I was so sick from everything. It's like... Uh... Yep. So yeah, here... it happens. <laughs> And I was like, but we, we, we drive, one of our cars is white. We opened up the door. It's like, it's green. It's green. That ain't right. Yep. yep. <laughs> yeah, it, it's pretty gross. All right. So, well, you know what? What are we going to be talking about this fine, fine episode? A GM topic? We're going to be talking about some of my favorite things in the world. Really? Uh, good food and good drink. I have a segue to that somewhere in here, but no, we're going to talk about inspiration <laughs> and setup for social and investigative games. Ah, uh, one of which I'm very good at running. <laughs> I, I seriously am a huge fan of social oriented and investigation based games. They are things we're kind of tackling together because they've got some overlap. Uh, they, they both tend to offer a great deal of opportunity for role-playing. They also are both uh, surprisingly or maybe not surprisingly a heavy lift for a GM. And so we're going to talk a little bit about where we find inspiration, maybe some of our tips and tricks about how to go about uh, running or preparing for these games, and see if we can fuel some of your own desire to, to have a intrigue-laden or... or uh, sneaky little whodunit sometime in your near future. Yeah. There's... And here's the thing. Here's the thing. The, the one thing is like everyone here is the social. They're like a lot of people immediately go thinking, ah, vampire larp intrigue. No, 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 no. And investigative, everyone's thinking like Sherlock Holmes. No, no, no. And you don't have to be like super duper, you know, like Sherlock level, you know, brains. You just have to be a little bit more methodical, a little bit more thoughtful, but you don't have to be able to, you know, work as a, you know, chess grandmaster thinking 25 moves ahead. It's okay. Breathe. Oh, yeah. It's going to be fun. Trust me on this one. And it could be funny too. I'll be honest. Some of the best war stories that you hear come from these going completely off the rails, but sometimes in good ways. Well, and the other important kind of caveat is that a social game isn't required to be a romance game. 
a, a lot of people default social to meaning romance, but really it's not. And so it, it's a different kind of game, and that's kind of what we're going to get into. And the, the, the biggest trick revolves around, I think how do we phrase it, they share a level of obfuscation for what's going on. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because they really do. There is a whole lot of obfuscation usually going on. Because. But the thing is, like, you here's... have to have it. Oh, yeah. But the trick is, though, it doesn't always have to be, you know, some kind of grand conspiracy a la Illuminati. You know, it could be sometimes that and. I'm going to go with uh, the Church of the Subgenius. Sometimes somebody pulled the wool over their own eye and they are so good at deluding themselves they can't see what the truth is. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's kind of neat. The the thing with social games is, you know, like Gardamoche said, is social games are not just the, oh, I'm going to romance or, you know, the vampire, you know, LARP game. There's tons of other things that you can do in, in that social game arena. And one of the big ones which Gardemoche loves to do <laughs> are political. Mm -hmm. But you can do political investigative games as well. I mean, just think of the X-Files. Well, then they bleed over in some ways. And so yeah. a political game is not necessarily about, you know, actually getting votes and about running campaigns. But if you wanted to run a game like that and it, it, ping me, ping me through the contact information on the doodly do. I have ideas. Um, <laughs> yeah, but here's some of the other thing when they talk about politics, it doesn't always have to be government. It could be street level, two gangs going at each other. All right. Who's got it's like. All right, you know what? You have to get all the people that live in the tenements on the side of the street to support you kind of a thing. It doesn't always have to be, you know, putting in votes. It could be two rival street gangs. It could be two rival, you know, uh, crime syndicates. It could be two rival. Oh, ah, two, I'm going to thank you or schools. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing about political games are about using soft power instead of hard power and what negotiations happen what can you give versus what can they give we tend to think about it in terms of, of, of government units but like like jules is saying a pol politics is really just a problem solving methodology for groups of people and that ability to negotiate that ability to kind of see what it is the other side wants and maybe kind of explore where their limits are and aren't works for things like gangs for rival schools for guilds for any organization that your characters have a connection to yeah that, or an interaction with i mean mm -hmm. yeah. one of the examples of a place to find inspiration uh, in the doodly do, I did throw in the West Wing because I think it's a great example of where you can draw kind of the idea of a, a social game and a political game from. And it is heavily tied to governmental issues, but otherwise, I'd get too long in discussing different things and how they met, what to do. I have other examples for fun. <laughs> and yep. what you need to do for things like the West Wing 
or for anything that's kind of an upstairs downstairs style drama, uh, you know, you know a, a drama of etiquette, is know what the different factions want. My biggest suggestion for you as a GM, because there are heavy loads, the heavy lift here is knowing what the social structure is. Yes. But if you know what each faction wants, even if it's not what they say they want, you can react to whatever the players do and keep them moving through the story and keep the story moving around them without losing track of it. Instead of having to have all of the set pieces and everything scripted out, if you know what they want, you know how they're going to try to get there when the PCs you know, either help or hinder that. Yeah, and because that is a big that's a big thing. Like the players are going to be thrown into the middle of all this. That's kind of the joy of it. They're yep. they are a very easy uh way to play that negotiating back and forth between two two groups that won't sit down and at the same table and and talk. You can totally use the players to do just that. And the other thing that you can also do is, you know, say something's been at a stalemate, you know, and pretty much your players can be, you know, the strike that causes ripples throughout whatever the heck the community and, you know, stasis is no longer possible. Yeah. Yep. So, and, and that is that is a great way of doing some of the stuff with with social games. Now. Investigative games, whodunits. There are lots of cop shows, lots of easy things to kind of say, you know, find your inspiration from. Uh, so I tried not <laughs> to include any like direct cop shows, with one weird exception in the uh, examples. But I want to hear from you two what are some of your inspirations for investigative or whodunit games? And what's uh, in it's a place you draw inspiration from for them? Uh, <laughs> uh, mine is kind of weird, but, uh, I picked actually, there's, there's an anime out there and manga called Dr. Stone, and there's a whole bunch of mysteries as to, okay, why did the world get turned to stone for thousands of years? And the thing is like, there's investigations of, okay, uh, how are they there? You know, you kind of have that, that social, but then you also have the investigation and then you have it, it's kind of like the the idea of Moriarty and Holmes kind of switch places, you know. It's like okay, we're trying to outthink them, and you have to think around how they're going to think. But the other one is they have to investigate. They have to figure out, um, all right, what do, they you know also kind of in the political thing, what do they want? Because something doesn't seem off, and they are also the big mystery of, okay, how are we going to bring everybody back? How are we going, you know, how are you going to identify what turned everyone to stone? How are you going to fight it? And there's actually, and they, it's kind of cool because they use the scientific method for a whole hell of a lot of it. Nice. Yeah. And for, for those of you that, you know, tend more towards the math, tend more, more towards, you know, science and logical processes and aren't quite as, you know, it's like, you know, it's like I can follow a logic flow, but I can't think ahead as much because there's too many variables, you know? <laughs> so they, it, for me, I found that really interesting. Cause it's like, okay, how are they going to do this? Okay. Now something came in and they're like, okay, well, what does this mean? What does this mean for us? How are we going to move around it? 
And it's, you know, it was, it's a lot of the, and the thing is like the big thing with investigations, I'll just tell you for that, the fun of discovery. So, yeah. you know, and for me, for science is like, oh yeah, I proved something. It gives me a real big joy. So that, that was mine. All right. I'm sorry, Zen, go ahead. I talk too much. Okay. So I actually have two things that I will watch, especially if I want to uh, do a lot more uh, investigation type games. And the first one is going to be totally hokey, but it is it is used a lot. And that is Scooby-Doo. Because <laughs> that is exactly what it is. It's just, you know, watch the movies. Don't don't watch the... I mean, you can watch the animated cartoon for forever. But if you watch the movies, the movies are really tightly controlled investigations that yeah. are fun. Yeah. And there's always a weird kind of twist and it's you just figure it out as you're going along just like they do. And the other one that I use is um oh my god, I just had it on the tip of my tongue. And it's Damn, now I'm not going to be able to remember it. Uh, this makes me mad. <laughs> but it it was um it's not a normal what you would expect from an investigation type of uh show because it's not like, you know, law and order or anything like that, which those are fine if that's what you want to do. But if you want to do something that's kind of a little more off the beaten path, then you have to kind of look at different and stranger ways of kind of hunting for those. And the the damn show is still I you know what, if I remember it, I will we'll put come a link back to you. Because I know I had it and then it just like boom. And here's <laughs> and here's gone. a and here's an interesting thing. It's like for a lot of there's TV shows, books, movies. And the one thing I'm going to bring up is, is a very, very out of genre for this. And I'm the easy thing is lore hunting and story discovery for Five Nights at Freddy's. Trying to decide, figure out exactly, okay, what does all this mean? And it's going across like an incredible number of games, but you have to do a lot of investigating lore dives. Uh, you have to you know, uh, play certain things backwards, you know, and it's taking an interesting logic flow and it's, you know, the games themselves, you know, just to play them, you know, mechanics wise, no, but the act of pulling out the story and the lore of the five nights of Freddy's franchise, that is investigation, you know? So if everyone's thinking, you know, you got to put your, your magnifying glass up to your eyes, like, no, you know, watch game theory what uh madpat does for trying to solve and it's trying to solve the lore and it's pretty interesting yeah you know, so yeah garamage come on you got to give us one oh i've got several and, and they come from a more traditional bend but they also highlight how you can have unique kind of characters and setups for investigative games uh one of my favorites is the nero wolf adventures and mysteries uh 
either book or TV show. But see, here's the important part there. This is where the food and the Epicurean stuff comes in, as Nero Wolf is a known Epicurean, and sometimes things revolve around the meals that are served because he never leaves his house. And so you actually have to have all of the information come to him. Uh, one of my other favorites is the Father Dowling Mysteries, where you know a Catholic priest and street-smart nun end up having to solve some mysteries. Sister Stephanie is freaking awesome, and I will have yes, words with is. anyone that says otherwise. <laughs> and she would be <laughs> glad for you to have words, but that's it. Uh, and also, The Name of the Rose. And that is perhaps one of the more interesting so good. That is, it's straight up investigative. It is the, I'm not it familiar is, with that. Oh my. Okay. Oh, so it's an, Umberto, it's an Umberto Echo book and movie. It is actually a long, one of the first times that he got a lot of attention. And there is a significant amount of it that is actually references to things like Sherlock Holmes. And I could say more, but then I would start giving things away. Yeah. The uh, movie version does, in fact, star uh, Sean Connery and um, I'm trying to remember who is our uh, kind of insert character. Let's say insert actor is I think Christian Slater, maybe. Christian Slater was in it. Uh, also, uh, Ron Perlman. Yeah, it was the beginning of his. Um, yeah, kind of creepy character actor. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but. It, it, the Name of the Rose is another place to show how you can have kind of layered levels of investigation and, and, and mysteries. And kind of my, one of my hints and kind of guideposts when I'm doing one of these style games is I've got three or four clues I'm going to want the characters to find. I'm not worried about how they find them. If they do a really great mechanical role for some kind of investigation or a great description – I will give them one of these. It prevents the situation where the <laughs> characters don't know what to do and the players don't know what to ask, creating kind of a stonewall situation. So knowing yeah. there are three or four clues and seeing letting players get to them uh, is, I think, a more valuable way for them to then kind of start piecing it together because then they'll kind of start putting together where those go. Also, yeah, you don't even have to have an answer to that. Maybe you don't know what the answer is, and you're going to let one of their good ideas figure it out. I, I don't do that often, um, but I can't say I've never done that. Oh, yeah. No, and that's one of the things. Like, that investigation games are, are interesting because there is a certain you, – you have to have certain conceits when you go into it. And one of them, and this is one that, you know, you had touched on, which was the, you don't want the stonewalled moment. Because when you have that stonewalled moment, it will grind the game to a horrible, unfun point. And that's one of, there's there's oh, a yeah. game that actually uses this conceit of, no, no, you guys are investigators. Okay, you're going to get all the clues. Gumshoe system. The gumshoe system. And it just like lays it out. It's like, you guys all find all the clues. All the clues are there. You don't even have to do anything. They're there for you to use. And then there's like the layers of, of how they connect. Like that's all part of the game. But 
knowing that you have all the clues already so that you can continue with the story of the investigation makes it stay fun without feeling like a a slog to try to figure out, well, what am I supposed to do now? God, I have no idea. Because, you know, you either have outthought or out maneuvered like, maneuvered all of the players so that they are just like at a loss. What do we do? I it's so obfuscated at that point that it's not clear where they're supposed to go or what they're supposed to do. Yeah, I'm actually I'm going to bring up a, a kind of strange analogy uh, I've noticed is make sure that your rules for the game, for the rules, for the investigation, for the logic flow and stuff like that are incredibly consistent. You know, no matter no no matter what. They might not know all of the rules, but and the other thing is the rules can't just apply to your little group of dudes. They have to apply to everybody. It's kind of it's the dark souls logic. So if you can shoot that guy and take him down, doesn't matter if he was a big boss fight, you shot him and took him down. Yeah. So it, it's that kind of thing. So if your characters stumble upon something that gives them a whole ton of information. They get a whole ton of information. It's it's not the, you know, boss fight, invisible wall kind of a thing. So that's the the one thing is if the players can operate within a set within a set of rules, a set of conceits, a set of, you know, this is how things work. And these Instead are set of expectations. Mm-hmm. And you know, the thing is like the and the the idea of like the twist. Okay, but the thing is, like, does it add anything? Just putting it in there because it subverts expectations, that's not fun. But if it gives them the the idea of when they're they're like, oh, my gosh, that also fits in the logic. Ooh. Right. You know, well, a, yeah. a great example of that was, and, and everybody hates it, but it is, and that was the uh, Sixth Sense. Because if you go back and look, all of the logic is consistent from beginning to end. Futurama as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's the thing is like they were always there. And once players get some extra information, they can actually look back and see like that makes perfect sense and may be able to fall, you know, you know, follow a different uh, path of logic that takes them into a different direction, but still fits you know, within within the borders of the within borders of the evidence or within the uh, social constraints of what you've set up. Yeah. But the thing is, it can't. Like I said the the out of nowhere thing that has. It, I'm not saying it doesn't have to have like, ooh, take a look at this, you know, where they find something. But you know, like they, they think about it, they notice that they they might kind of file it away. But when they see new stuff, it goes, ah, <gasps> ooh, yeah. Now. Like I said, yeah, it's that ooh factor. Like when they discover something or put something together, that that discovery feeling, either in social or investigation, that's what you want. Yeah. Well, I think we could talk a lot more about how to kind of weave some of the tropes from these genres in to enhance the game. But I think instead we need to just make that another episode to come later because we've got a good chunk of this main topic already and discussing the tropes and then how to subvert them when you do should yeah. maybe be another episode. What do you two sure. think? I totally agree. But one thing I do want to talk about in both of these types of games is the mood. 
And mm. it may seem a little counterintuitive to worry about mood, but it really does matter because say you're in this super clandestine meeting and, you know, you really don't want the lights to be like on 55, you know, <laughs> and everything be absolutely silent. Because it kind of feels opposite of what that is. So, you know, it's one of those things. Now, if you're doing it because you want to throw them off the game, then that's that's something completely different. Or but, kind of in the other social thing, if you want to clue it into the, oh, you know, somebody screwed this up and they're not as they're not as smart socially to figure out how to have this clandestine meeting. You know, it's like, hey, right. this doesn't feel right. You know, it, everyone, everyone in almost like investigation things like something right here. Yeah. That's but, what you can give them that gut feeling. But a lot of times you want to kind of play into that, the trope of like, you know, if it's a clandestine meeting, it's kind of like, you know, in either like a broken, old, dilapidated building or inside you know, of a inside of a taxi, inside of a taxi or in a parking garage. I mean, there's tons of different ways that you can do that. And those are all tropes within all of, you know, within that style of game. And, you know. If you play into them, then the players will have those touchstones to feel like that is what they're doing rather than just like, this is really weird. Unless you're trying to make them feel like this is really weird. That's a topic we'll explore even more the next time we take up investing yeah. in social games. Right. So here's the thing. While you, while you guys are out there, you know, you know, taking a break, you know, doing your self-care, watching a good TV show, you know, kind of pay attention to, all right, how do they set up social interactions here? Or if this is kind of like, it has an investigation, kind of a mystery component, how are they setting it up? You know, keep that in the back of your mind, file some of those things away. And if you find something cool, post it on social media, let us know what you found, because while all of us have very, very different tastes and, and, you know, different likes, there's dollars to donuts. You guys have seen something that we haven't. And to be honest, we're all three of us are probably going to watch it and get something different from it. And that might be kind of interesting for, you know, all of us to kind of discuss is like, well, what did you see? What did you focus on? Yeah. And that might be actually kind of fun. Yep. But that will all be next time. In the future. Instead. We're going to roll on into our next segment. System neutral pieces that can be worked into an ongoing game or inspiration for your next big game event. Okay. So. Yeah. Oh, I already said you're going first. That was the. Oh, okay. Sorry. I, I dropped out entirely. <laughs> I apologize, everybody. I. I don't know what happened. I couldn't hear anybody for a bit. My my bad. I will tell you a little bit about Giancarlo Moretti. Because Giancarlo, or Johnny, is someone who seems to be straight out of a noir story. Uh, they have a PI license, end up with clients from the most desperate of populations. Deeply troubled and a sucker for attractive clients, Johnny is never far from trouble themselves with both the cops and the crooks. The thing about Johnny is that they've been around for as long as anybody can remember. Hasn't been stomped so far down. They they packed up or died. 
something keeps Johnny going. And also, somehow Johnny hasn't stepped on the feet that would otherwise have him summarily removed from the city. Uh, Johnny gives hope, you see. And sometimes people need that. Uh, sometimes that hope isn't always the best, but it is an answer one way or another. Uh, the skills in place, from tailing to browbeating, have served Johnny well, but even more so in the way that most people seem to take a liking to them. Uh, something about being a, a rough-around-the-edges palooka with a deep, aw, oh, shucks, charm comes through, even as the cynical observations about the state of the city flow like a running narration whenever they're around. A cigarette here, a warm slug of scotch there. Uh, there's little that isn't a caricature about Johnny. It is strange, though, that Johnny seems to know every unspoken and unwritten rule of etiquette. It's almost as though no offense is given, even as they traipse through any scenario sticking out like a sore thumb. The ability to make a call or find a friend in every establishment without fail is almost as disconcerting as the looks of fear that sometimes accompany their arrival. The real problems, though, only show up when Giancarlo comes back. Dude! Oh my, okay. One, also, cool name, but dude! I can't follow that. Jeez! <laughs> <laughs> All right, fine, fine. All right, I'm not, I'm not going to be quite as awesome as Guatemala, but... Um, let me introduce you to the mythic exchange. It seems that many mythical creatures, both humanoid and bestial, get the proverbial short end of the stick, as it were. Well, there's been a program in the works the past decade or so, a way to kind of balance the scales, as it were, a mythic slash mystic exchange program. Medusa has been coming into her own in Japan, finding a kindred spirit in the loka, local Nure-Ona and the Uwabami. And Japan's reverence for snakes as symbols of death, life, and rebirth have opened new aspects for Medusa as well. Coyote and Robin Goodfellow have spent many an hour swapping tales of foolishness of the humans and uh, confessing their own few missteps. Baba Yaga and the Witch of the Gingerbread House have been swapping sweet meat and sweetbread recipes and discussing the various dark aspects that make up uh, their stories. So many mythological characters seem to have grown from these experiences. They feel like they have more agency in their lives and a deeper yet nuanced understanding of who, in fact, they are. And it seems that the mythic exchange has had a larger impact. The ripples altered more than just the fantastic. This program has brought about a unique and rich cultural cross-pollination. It's given rise to various takes and new interpretations of the old fairy tales and legends. Old stories from one culture are told through the medium of another culture, giving rise to a deep cultural camaraderie that seems to transcend both time and borders. Cool. That's a nice in for a lot of possibilities. I like it a lot. Yeah. You know, it, it was a joke. My, my husband's like, well, what if Medusa was an exchange student going to Japan? <laughs> I like that. And I just came up with this whole, it's like, all right, let's, you know, imagine if some of, you know, imagine if a, a banshee came, you know, into like uh, La Llorona of, of Mexico and stuff like that. I was like, Yep. Oh, that's fun. Okay, so let me go ahead and try this again. Yay. 
assumed that they were that was going to hide in the doodly do. No, no, I dropped out. So <laughs> yeah, and, and the thing is, like, why we we're talking about intrigue, mystery, hiding, social stuff like that. We're we're not that big of a jerk. No. So take us home, Zen. All right, the agency. The agency, as as it is known, is where the research into the mind gets done. Diving into how the mind works, as well as unlocking its deeper mysteries. What deep mysteries are those? Psychic manipulation, as well as dream manipulation, are the hallmarks of the agency. Finding the ways to open subjects' minds to the possibilities can be difficult. Not everyone can find that wellspring in themselves. The agency has uncovered a large cadre of substances and physical exercises that can help, though. The doctors that are present in the labs cover a wide range of specialties, from psychologists to neuro. pathologists. While not all of them are researching how to unlock them to help create the awakened, as they call them, the mental, physical, and social well-being of these people is very important. What would you do with someone that has the ability to make you forget that you've ever met them and what they can do? Well, those are the lofty goals of the agency. The boots on the ground tell a much darker and grim story. If you can be made to awaken, then you're drugged within inches of your life. Now, if you are useful, then you're made to be a good foot soldier in the front lines of this new war that's spreading out into the unknown world. There that's, we go. That's a session zero opener, if ever I heard one. <laughs> I, I thought we were talking about inspiration, not setting up a campaign, dude. What? <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> what? I may have already come up with the game for this. I am not surprised. Yeah, well. But it's but brilliant. Hey, there, you can draw lots of inspiration from that and other ways of doing things. So, all right. Let's uh, go ahead and flip on into our next segment an uncommon word that helps improve your descriptions with a bit of information about those words as well okay the word is camarilla wasn't that the wasn't like a, like a prussian uh it was ah. pre-World yeah, it's pre-World War One. It was uh it was like a, a Prussian governing body that was kind of outside the, the diet, if I recall correctly. Uh it I know I, I know Ready? that secret uh, it is a group of unofficial, often secret and scheming advisors in a government. Also known as a cabal. It's just a different word for it. Uh, the first known use of this amazing word is 1834. Mm, Ferdinand? It is Spanish. It literally yeah. translates to small room. So, okay. Cam, yeah, cama, camarilla means like teeny weeny and cama. Well, it probably was Ferdinand then. Mm -hmm. So, and the lookup popularity is in the top 12% of words. 
So well then, yeah. yeah. But but here's the thing: if you Otto, Otto von Bismarck, thank you, Brain. You know that's you know before he actually became a chancellor, the whole thing. You know, he joined some, and they called themselves a Camarilla. I'm not kidding. Mm-hmm. So you know it's pretty cool. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. nerding. It's also. Okay. Obviously, the gaming connection. For those of you who are not aware of the world of darkness, the Camarilla would be the secret group of vampires who were trying to maintain the masquerade in the old world of darkness books. So, yep. And keeping the secret. So, exactly. Yeah. But Indeed. as we kind of wrap up our initial mystery and, and kind of at least leave something of a cliffhanger, what do you have as a remark, a closing suggestion for those of us uh, to listen who are listening along to take away Zen. Okay. So it's a new show. It's called the nevers. It is a Victorian era, like low superpower, like hero game. If it was if it was made into like a TV show, that's what it reminds me of. And it really is amazing for like showcasing how the Victorian society was like so classist and racist. And like it really shines a really bright light on just how how that system worked and viewed people that were not aristocratic. And it's only, I want to say three episodes in so far, but it is really, really good. I, I don't normally watch newer shows and my wife is like, you need to watch this. And we sat down one night and watched all three episodes. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Hey, yeah. hey, good day night. Good day night. And you're being safe. Yeah. You know, I, I will note for people who may want the information that it was co-created by Joss Whedon. And so yeah. that into account in determining whether or not you would like to uh, kind of see the show. That's that is true. Uh, that was the one the one caveat that I did have with it is, yeah, Joss is involved in it heavily. And the primary group of people that it deals with are all women. So that is something to keep in mind. But it's really... Um, it, it's he, he did well depart. Done. Yeah, he did depart from the show, but he did create it, and he, I'd say, some of the, you'll you'll recognize some of the tropes and concepts, uh, yeah, that that he likes to use, but um, they didn't talk about his involvement when they were marketing it, but he's there in the title card creating it. Uh, so yeah, he created. He was executive producer, I think, and an initial writer, I believe, like in the first episode maybe the first two and then he's not show he hasn't shown up other than like executive producer and uh created by at this point in the show that may have all changed later but yeah 
by where they're at, it it kind of ends there. But yeah, for those who don't want to, you know, who and it is on HBO Max, so you have to have HBO to watch it, or watch it on HBO as it is airing on Sunday nights. Yeah. Yep. So, Jules, what you got? All right. Uh, I wanted to see if I could find something kind of investigative that fit and uh, realized, oh, yeah, I've been playing a game for that. It's called Return of the Obra Dinn. And holy crap. One, this game is made by Lucas Pope, the guy that also created uh, Papers, Please. You know, that actually made stamping passports and inspecting identifications uh, kind of like engaging. And pretty much the thing is that the Oberdin, uh that was lost at sea comes back and you are hired to figure out what happened. So you, you go on there and you, you walk around the ship and then you're finding all these different skeletons and you were gifted this pocket watch for lack of a better term for it. And you get to go back and see snapshots you know, you get to hear like the the talking back and forth, talking back and forth of, you know, a, a scene. And then it gives you just a flat picture and you can walk around it. It's it's 3D. You can walk around through it, but you're not seeing anybody talk. So you're hearing it's like they're like, hey, what? You know, it's like, oh, you never been uh, you never worked a farm before. And then you hear somebody barf and he's like, watch your shoes. And oh, wow. then they go to that one picture and you're seeing this one kind of. You know, and you see him losing his lunch over over the edge, and you see the other people working to, you know, slaughter a cow for food. But you have to figure out what happened, like who each of these people are, you know. So each of the skeletons, you need to identify the skeleton and identify how they died. And if you don't find them, you have to, if you don't find a skeleton or something, you still have to figure out who they were and um, uh, what happened to them. And one of the cool things, and I like this, is they're they're all done with like, you know, eighteen hundred style paintings, and so you you're like, okay, you can see, okay, what these guys kind of look like, except for the artist. But you still have to figure out what the art, what happened to the artist, and they they don't have a picture of him; they just have his signature, and I thought that was nice. kind of neat. So that is cool. It is, and the, the other thing that's really weird is it's all told out of sequence. It's so you'll get like. You know, a middle scene, you'll start with that. And it's all, and the good news is you can't go back. You can't go back and watch the scenes and sequence. It just does help. But you're introduced the entire story, uh, like unstuck in time. And I was fine with it, but that's also because I love Slaughterhouse Five and had no problem following it. My husband, on the other hand, not so much. But it's it's a lot of fun. And, you know, if you've got, if you're with, you know, a spouse, or a partner or a friend that really likes investigation kind of stuff, sit down and play it together. Cause the, the actual mechanic mechanics is you walk around and then you look at a body and then you press a button. That's it. Yeah. So the, the fun is in the deduction and the exploration of the scene, you know, not so much, you know, pew pew lasers. So cool. I recommend it. And uh, Garmanger, what you got? Well, unintentionally, there may be some uh, bleed over between ours as my closing remarks are going to the usual suspects. 
a moody mystery stylistic thriller about a group of criminals and a criminal mastermind boogeyman and what happened that resulted in a crazy crazy shootout which began when they were all brought in for a lineup if you haven't seen it i don't really want to say anything else because um it is a mystery and there are Spoilers, even for a movie that old, if you haven't somehow seen it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, The Usual Suspects. Also, fantastic oh. cast. Oh yeah, Benicio Del Toro and Kevin Pollock. Hello. Brilliant. <laughs> you know, I, I love Benicio Del Toro. He can, he's got so many weird personalities and they all just fit whatever he's in. He's amazing for it. So you'll enjoy yep. it. Indeed. Well, mm-hmm. guys, I think this is going to be a uh, a wrap for now. Hooray. So, Yay. Yeah. So until next time. Go investigate some cool media. See what you find that you like about it and tell us. Yes. Find us on all the social medias. Tell us what you like out of a social, political, or investigative game. And until then. Until you come back around and join us again here on Seize the GM, make sure to play some games, have fun, and roll those dice. See you soon. Thanks for checking in. It was a blast sharing our thoughts and ideas on our time. We hope that you had a great time with us and could hardly wait to share the next show. In the meantime, let us know how you handle this topic in your own games. You can find us on most social media platforms, especially Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you want to follow us, search for Seize the GM. And if you just want to follow one of us, search for our names on the social media platform of your choice, or go to SeizeTheGM.com for convenient links. Seize the GM is released under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial, share-alike, 4.0 international license. All copyrighted material referenced herein are held by their respective owners. No infringement intended and no claim of ownership is Once again, thanks to you, our listeners. We hope you gained some ideas for your ongoing games. Or the inspiration to run your first. Now get out there and play some games. Roll some dice. Be safe. And you'll hear from us again soon.